Amen. All right. I'm going to start off tonight looking at Jeremiah 23. I'm going to look at lots of verses, but this is where, this is where I think we'll start. Jeremiah 23, verse 28. I really like these two verses we're going to read. The prophet says, The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I tell you, we need the word of God. We desperately need the Word of God. I'm going to read those same verses from the Amplified Bible. I really like the way it says it. It says, The prophet who has a dream, let him tell his dream. But he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat for nourishment, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire that consumes all that cannot endure the test, says the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. That is powerful. When we're facing what seems to be irresistible resistance, the answer is the Word of God. Amen. Learning how to use the Word of God. We've got to learn how to speak God's Word to circumstances in faith, knowing that the Word of God contains the miracle power in what it says. The Word is alive, the Scripture says. When we speak God's Word, we're speaking as if He's speaking. And it carries the authority as if he said it, as long as we're speaking in faith. When we speak it in faith, it contains the power to do what it says. It is the thing that will break into pieces the rock of resistance. It will consume that thing that disagrees with what God has said. Jesus said it this way, sort of. He said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Now the tree here is a picture of life. And what it's saying is, is make your life good and the fruit of your life good or make your life rotten and the fruit of your life rotten. He says, your life is known by its fruit. Then he said, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Then he goes on. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things and an evil man out of the evil, evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now let me just stop for a second here. What, when is the day of judgment? Well, it could be talking about after the rapture, but it also, if you're driving 65 miles an hour in a 35 and you get stopped by a policeman, when is the day of judgment? Right now. Okay, what he's talking about here is not so much the day of judgment in the future, he's talking about what you say and how it produces in your life, you're going to get, it's going to account for itself in, that, in the time it fulfills itself, is what he's talking about here. He goes on to say, he says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. He's saying that words will either set us free or hold us in bondage. When we learn how to speak God's word, that's going to set us free. It's going to bring liberty in our lives. Proverbs 18.21, you know this verse, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We sometimes fail to understand how powerful words can be. Now, that's not going to be my whole subject here tonight, but that's a pretty important thought 
that when we learn to take God's word and we begin to speak God's word to the circumstances and the situations of life, it is the thing that is going to consume what can't withstand the test of the word. It is the thing that's going to break into pieces the resistance that wants to come against us. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this, verses 14 and 15 and then 19. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Now that's quoted again in Romans chapter 10. It says the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart so you can do it. See, I have set before thee this day good life and good, death and evil. Now he connects it to words. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. How can we choose life based on the context of those words? By what we say. If life and death are in the power of my tongue, I can choose life or death by the words that I say. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. It's a choice. Our tongue is very important. What we need somehow for the tongue to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so the question is, how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that as we go forward. <laughs> most Christians, many, probably most Christians don't realize the importance of what we say. We don't realize the importance of, 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 of words. Malachi 2.17 says this. says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. Isn't that an interesting statement? God gets tired of people talking wrong. He gets wearied when people, Christian, his covenant people, speaking in contradiction to what he said. It wears him out. Chapter 3, verse 13 says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Words that people say in opposition to him. Our words are either in agreement with the Lord or in opposition to the Lord. And we, we, we need to know his word so we can understand whether our words agree with what he says. Because that's the way we're going to tear up the opposition is with his word. And so that brings me to the text that I want to get to. We choose the right words. We choose life. We choose what God wants us to do. Right, my text I've been teaching out of the last few weeks is out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. The scripture says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've been talking for several weeks about being filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. We, we've talked about the phrase Filled with the Spirit. What does that phrase even mean? We've discovered over the weeks that it actually today in the church world, it has to do more with a label than an existing experience that we're having. Filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to say he's Spirit-filled or it's a Spirit-filled church? Generally speaking, when we talk about a Spirit-filled person, we're talking about someone who in the past has experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right? Something has happened in their past that they, that they have that. When we refer to a spirit-filled church, we're talking about a church that embraces the theology of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the fact that miracles have not passed away. 
Okay, understanding though that the Apostle Paul did not say and have been filled with the Spirit, he says be filled with the Spirit. He's not talking about a past tense experience, he's talking about a present way of life. When I first received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, like back when most of you did, it was easy to detect a Spirit-filled church. Right? You could walk in, and if they raised their hands, they were Spirit-filled. If they didn't have, if they didn't use the hymnal, and you know they, they were raising their hands, they were probably a Spirit-filled church. Over the years, though, everybody else figured out if you want to grow a church, you better let them raise their hands, and you better sing out of something besides the hymnal. In fact, every denominational traditional church out there has a traditional service and a contemporary service because they know if you don't do something that seems like it's spirit-filled that people aren't going to come. Okay, So that's what we used to. We used to could always identify spirit-filled people because we raised our hands. I mean, that was the secret. We, if you, you know, that was kind of the code thing. You raise your hands, yes. Ah, you're spirit-filled. <laughs> but that what we identified with an experience that we had had, that we had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people raise their hands today, but they still believe that miracles have passed away. Mm-hmm. That, always, that always bothers me. They believe that miracles have passed away, and yet the biggest miracle is to be born again. Mm-hmm. And they teach that every Sunday. And that's, you know, that's, not even as, that's a bigger miracle than most of the others we talk about. Okay, the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus, he says, be filled with the Spirit. He's not talking about the past. He's talking about the present. He literally is saying, be being filled with the Spirit. Not have been right now, be being filled with the Spirit. I like like the way the scripture says, it doesn't just say, now don't get drunk. It says, don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, the scripture is pretty good when it tells us, to, to, to don't do something, it tells us to do do something. It doesn't just say do not. It always tells us to do something. It replaces it. So the scripture says it gives us the alternative to being drunk or getting high is to be filled with the Spirit. And we've taught over the weeks that drugs and alcohol are the world's way of coping with pain and boredom. And so people get drunk to escape all that's going on there. In fact, most people would say life is too tough to take sober. And so they try to escape in some way. Okay, there's a lot of pressure out there. There's a lot going on. The answer, though, is not necessarily getting high and getting drunk. The answer is living the effervescent life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's answer to escape the boredom. God's answer to the pain. God's answer to the humdrum and the mundane is to be filled with the Spirit. The problem is we have decided that once I have been filled with the Spirit and have spoken in tongues, that that's kind of the pinnacle of it, and we forget we're not supposed to just have been filled. We're supposed to be filled. Okay? We saw in Acts chapter 2 they got filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, the same people got filled with the Spirit again. Because somehow when we get filled, if we don't do certain things, we're going to leak and we're going to run out of that fullness of the Spirit. Okay? Over the weeks, I talked about my a couple of my experiences with the Holy Spirit to just stir us up and make us hungry for the things of the Spirit. We talked about the prophetic power of praying in the Spirit. There's a, there's a tremendous prophetic power when we pray in tongues. I mean, it's prophetic. It will alter things because we are now prophesying in the spirit realm what God intends to take place. And we talked about that a whole time, and so I'd love to preach it again, but I won't. We talked about the spirit of life. 
Well, last week we talked about what it is to yield, and what we yield to is what we become. If we yield to the Spirit, we will be Spirit-filled. If we yield to the flesh, we will be flesh-filled. What we yield to is what we become. The, the most, one of the most powerful things that any believer, no matter how long they've been saved, one of the most powerful things they can learn and know is they've got to know what to resist and what to yield to. What do I give place to, and what do I rebuke and reject? We have to know that. All right, we've got to understand that we cannot be passe regarding the Holy Spirit and his desire to move through us, to move in us and through us. The church needs to be filled with the Spirit. I think we'd agree tonight. The world needs to see the real Jesus. Not the Jesus of religion. They need to see the real Jesus. And the only way they're going to see him is they're going to have to see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives as congregations and in the marketplace. I hope you realize every religion out there has a little black book. And every one of those people will tell you their book is the truth. And they'll tell you that, that, that my book I read it, I meditate in it, and it is what's going to get me to nirvana or some other place. They've all got a little black book. The difference between us and them is that Jesus is alive. Amen. Now, unfortunately, the Christian religion has made it more about religion rather than Jesus being alive. Amen. And the proof of his living is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in the earth today who will manifest Jesus in the world in which we live. The scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he is the same, then what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he will do today. Now, I've read those gospels many, many times. And I saw that what Jesus did was, is that he, he saved people. He saved them in their spirit. He saved them physically. He saved them mentally. There was a supernatural power about Jesus. And he, the Bible says that, that the Lord anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Okay, that's what Jesus did. That's what it says that in Acts, um, what is it, 1038. Uh, but Jesus, there's this, the world needs to see Jesus. The church needs to allow Jesus to operate through us. When you read the book of Acts, that is the church operating in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And it, we, are not, we are a part of that church. You realize that? They operated in supernatural power, and they had to be being filled with the Spirit in order for that power to operate through them. We need that kind of power today. <coughs> Excuse me. Understanding that, that the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit isn't limited to just the preachers. The church ought to be operating in that power. We'll look more at that in just a minute. We need to be doing that. The title of the book of Acts in my Bible says, The Acts of the Apostles. Now, let me just tell you, the Word of God, the book of Acts, is anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
the title is not necessarily anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because the title should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The apostles simply allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through them. And that's what we ought to be doing now. The only thing that will set us apart from those other religions is the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached by people who've received this power. That's what's going to set us apart. So I want us to look at a couple of things. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2. We've read this before, but I want to read it again. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. We talked about how that was an explosion because the whole town came to see it. Because when something blows up, everybody goes to look at it. Right? Because if there was an explosion outside, we would all quit listening to me, and we would run outside because we'd want to see what blew up. Right? It says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to read, you, I'm going to read verse 4 one more time. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. All of them were. There are 120 of them in this room. There are, there are 12 apostles. So that means that most people in the room were not apostles. Probably not even preachers. But the scripture says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled. The word filled means to be crammed full, to be filled to the point of repletion and running over. All of these people, 120 of them, most of whom were not preachers who would never be in the ministry, were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They all, according to what I can see here, they all spoke in tongues. All of them. Every one of them began to speak with other tongues. Do you realize tonight that the New Testament was written by tongue-talking people? Right? I mean, can we see that? Every, every book in the, in the New Testament was written by somebody who spoke in tongues. They all spoke in tongues. In the book of Acts, we find that not one miracle ever happened among the church, through the church, by the church, until these people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. Tongues is not a bad word, by the way. Those of us who are baptized in the Spirit, we ought, ought not to ever be ashamed that we pray in tongues. One time somebody asked me, they said, you mean you pray in tongues? And I said, you mean you don't? <laughs> because that should be the way it is. Every one of these people prayed in tongues. Not one miracle, not one miracle happened in the book of Acts until people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. In fact, the miracles that took place in this book were, were, were performed. The Holy Spirit used people who spoke in other tongues. Do you realize that most of the church today doesn't speak in tongues? Mm -hmm. 